it's just going to be chaotic, right? I mean, the loan servicers aren't prepared. Mm -hmm. The borrowers aren't prepared. There's always, you know, mistakes are always made and, you know, people are going to have lots of questions and quite frankly, they're going to be overwhelmed once repayment starts. So you kind of want to get this stuff figured out before, because if you try to make a phone call, you know, on September 1st, you're probably going to have some really, really long wait times to, to get a hold of anybody. So um, take advantage of the time you have now to get this stuff straightened out and have a reasonable plan in place. So you're not, um, you know, scrambling once the, once the interest and payments start back up. That is student debt expert and VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Tony Bartels, with Dr. Rebecca Mears. And this is the VIN Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast, special student debt series. I'm Jordan Benchia, executive director of the VIN Foundation. Join me as I talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Hello, Tony and Becca. Welcome back with us. Hello, Jordan. Yeah, time to time to talk student loans again. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> student debt series. Yeah, I think I think we have the most episodes around this series. Welcome, Becca. Hi, everyone. Really excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have both of you here. You guys have been working so hard just trying to answer all of these student debt questions, and it seems like there's just been, of course, with all the news, a huge influx of colleagues. Um, I guess we're doing our job because the colleagues are reaching out. So, <laughs> um, And so, as always, let's dive right in. And this episode, we're going to be focusing on kind of a current hot list of questions that we have been seeing from colleagues asking about student debt. Uh, we recently sent out an email with this hot list, uh, and we highly recommend that you sign up for our emails. If you are interested in staying up to date on this, we will not email you a, a lot. We probably should email you more um, just to keep up with everything. But let's dive right in. So first off, um, let's focus on the major student loan happenings. And there's been a lot of them. But what if just kind of going down this list for colleagues, let's start with if you are a veterinarian who finished veterinary school before 2014, what do those colleagues need to know? Yeah. So the the first thing, you know, the reason why that 2014 cutoff kind of exists is it has to do with how the student loans have evolved over time. And uh, around 2010, there was a phase out of the previous student loan types that most people had, federal family education loans. So after July 1st of 2010, nobody received any new federal family education loans. Uh, so, you know, kind of working our way back, if you started veterinary school in the fall of 2010 and graduated in May of 2014, um, you're not likely to have any of those federal family education loans if you initially started borrowing at that time, right? So if you had undergrad loans, that might complicate things. So you still could have some 
federal family education loans in your historical student loan portfolio, even if you graduated in 2014 or after. But for the most part, if you were a person who uh, your first introduction to the federal student loan system was in veterinary school, then you should be in the clear uh, when it comes to those older loan types if you started veterinary school uh, in 2010 and graduated in 2014. But for anybody that graduated before then or has any of those older federal family education loan types in their portfolio, then you really, really, really want to consolidate, right? You want to get familiar with the one-time forgiveness count adjustment. We've got a special infographic on the VIN Foundation website. Um, it's It's got its own dedicated page, and there's also a one-time forgiveness count blog post that supports that. But essentially, those federal family education loans have have really been problematic when it comes to uh, benefits and income-driven repayment plans and public service loan forgiveness. And this is a really unique opportunity to clean all of that up, right? So all of the repayment time that you've logged up until that point, even if you've got some income-driven repayment history on them or public service loan forgiveness time, which actually that's not even really possible on those on those older fell loan types anymore. But if you consolidate them, you'll preserve all of that income-driven repayment time and even earn some additional qualifying forgiveness time as part of this one-time forgiveness count adjustment. So it's a super beneficial time to clean up those older loans. You have to consolidate by the end of this year. So that was recently extended since I think the last time we talked about student loans on this podcast. So the uh, opportunity to benefit from that one-time forgiveness count is until the end of this year. Right. And this that's why it's sort of top on our list of things that colleagues should focus on right now, because that's the goal of really this whole roundup is sort of this hot list is what do you need to know right now? Because a lot of these things might be time constrictive, right? Yeah. And, and this one time forgiveness count is going to be a common theme in this one. That That is, in my opinion, the most beneficial of all of the goodies that are floating around out there right now. I mean, it, it doesn't tend to get nearly any press uh, because it's really complicated, but it is really, really, really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if we have colleagues who have loans that have been in repayment longer than they've been using income-driven repayment? Yeah. And that, that comes right back to that one-time forgiveness count adjustment, right? So most of the more beneficial income-driven repayment options didn't start until 2009, but many of you have been in repayment for much longer than that. And what the one-time forgiveness count adjustment does is it goes back beyond even when um, you know IBR first started, so before 2009, all the way back to 1994, when income contingent repayment, the first of the income driven plans was was put on the books, you can go all the way back to loans from 1994 and any repayment time that you have on loans from 1994 or, or after will be counted as forgiveness qualifying payments as part of the one-time forgiveness count adjustment. The, the kicker is it's only eligible for those federally held loans, which is why you wanna consolidate by the end of this year if you have some of those um, non-federally held loans like those federal family education loans or health profession student loans, loans for disadvantaged students, Perkins loans, those types of loans aren't automatically eligible for this. But if you consolidate them into a direct consolidation loan, they will be eligible for the one-time forgiveness count adjustment. 
So what I'm hearing is take advantage of it. Absolutely. It is, I mean, it is, <laughs> it is crazy beneficial because the more forgiveness qualifying time you get, not only might you actually receive forgiveness if you've been in repayment for a long time, which some of our colleagues will, right? So if you've been mm -hmm. in repayment for 25 years already, you're going to get forgiveness on your loans as long as they're the right loan types and they receive that one-time forgiveness count adjustment. But maybe you get 20 or 22 years or 23 years of, of qualifying forgiveness payments, which means you're really knocking on the door of being done with repayment and it'll save you in most cases a lot of a lot of remaining repayment costs the closer you get to forgiveness with this one-time count adjustment. We're talking a lot about um you know, it is additional time towards forgiveness for this time that's been in, that we've been in repayment. What if I'm not sure about how much time I've spent in repayment and I want to look that up? Is there a way to do that? Uh, Good question. Yeah, we get that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, if it starts with what we call the student loan physical exam, right? So you have to uh, go to studentaid.gov, the Department of Education website, where you applied for your aid initially, uh, but it also is the place where you're going to find your student aid data file, which is the official record of all your federal student loan borrowing history. And there's a way for you to download that ugly file containing all of that data. It's a TXT file. You want to take that file from the studentaid.gov portal and put it in the VIN Foundation My Student Loans tool, right? That's going to show you all of your loan types. We'll break them down by the categories. It'll show you all the loan dates. So when you started borrowing those, um, and then we can start to piece together how much repayment time you have, right? So, you know, the, unfortunately, the time that you've spent in school will not count towards the forgiveness count adjustment, but any time that you've spent in repayment and even certain deferment and forbearance time will also be counted as qualifying repayment time as part of that forgiveness count adjustment. So start looking for which loan types you have so you know if you need to consolidate, but also looking at the dates that are associated with those various loan types and thinking about when they first entered repayment um, at various points along the way. And if you consolidate them all together, the count that you'll receive will be the greatest count available, right? And this is where, you know, a lot of us have some really tortuous pathways to and through veterinary school. And if I had loans from, you know, 1999 and I took, uh, you know, I had a prior career doing something else for five or 10 years, and then I went to veterinary school, I've got loans from back in the, you know, early 2000s that ha might have five or 10 years of, of payment time on them. I can combine them with my veterinary school loans that might have five or 10 years on them as well. And I can add, you know, I'll, I can add that together, right? So I'll get the greatest amount of forgiveness qualifying time based on the loan that has the greatest number of repayment months on it, right? So that's what makes this forgiveness count adjustment so beneficial. And one thing we've talked about before, for sure, is payee and that there are a lot of changes potentially coming to payee. So if somebody is eligible for payee and if they're using payee, we've talked about there are things that they need to know. So let's remind them, what are those? Right. So um, it, it just just for clarification, I, I mean, pay as you earn. Payee, I call it pay. Uh, it's one of the um, more beneficial of the income-driven repayment plans. Um, it is on the uh, the chopping block. Let's call it that. So there's been some changes proposed to income-driven repayment, and they are working their way through the system. So they've already made it through the negotiated rulemaking process, um, which is where they open it up and the public comments on them, and then they'll piece together all those comments maybe make some minor adjustments around the edges, but then set an effective date, right? And that'll likely 
be in 2024, but we haven't we haven't seen that yet. But what that ultimately means is that we're going to see uh, potentially pays you earn phased out, uh, meaning that you'll no longer have access to it if you're not already using it. So the good news is that if you are already using it or you're planning to use it, um, then you can keep using it. Right. Anybody that's enrolled in pay as you earn when these changes take effect will be able to continue using pay as you earn for as long as you stay with it or until you reach forgiveness. Um, but after the effective date, if you're not using it, you won't be able to get into it. Or uh, if you select out of pay as you earn for any reason, you won't be able to get back in. So it's one of those um, areas where you really want to know am I eligible for pay as you are? Not everybody is, right? So it has some special eligibility requirements that Finn Foundation My Student Loans Tool can help you understand if you're eligible for pay as you earn. Then you want to see, am I using it, right? There's a lot of people that think they're using pay as you earn, but when we look at their files, it shows revised pay as you earn or income-based repayment or something entirely different, right? So this stuff is really confusing. The details really matter. You want to know whether or not you're using page earn if you're eligible for it and confirm that that is the plan that you're actually using with your student aid data file or with your loan servicer and then decide whether or not it's the best plan for you right so with the with the pay as you earn phase out we're also going to get some improvements to revise pay as you earn or repay and those could be uh, beneficial for you too so um, you want to start to compare what these look like and thinking about, you know, when repayment restarts and, and beyond, uh, which repayment plan is going to be best for you. We hear a lot from colleagues that, wait, I didn't have to make payments during the whole pandemic, but I kind of wanted to get ahead of my student loans. So I went ahead and made payments. Uh, should I have not made payments? Should I have saved that money? And a lot of them are surprised to hear that if they did make payments starting, you know, from March 13th of 2020, they can get a refund, right? Yeah, absolutely. I st we still, we find that every mm -hmm. day, right? People that have either uploaded their file, and we've got alerts set up mm -hmm. in there to detect whether or not you've been making payments during this pandemic forbearance period. And if so, we want you to be aware that you can request a refund of that, right? So you request that refund of the, any of those payments that you've made since the forbearance benefits began, which was March 13th of 2020, uh, the loan servicer will provide you a refund of those payments. Now, it will, that will get added back to your student loan balance, mm -hmm. right? But when you're not accruing interest and, you know, we've increased the probability through the one-time forgiveness count adjustment and improvements to revise pays you earn that people are going to reach forgiveness. When you're projected to reach forgiveness, it doesn't make sense for you to pay anything more than is required on your student loans and nobody's been required to make any payments for, for more than three years. So if you have, you can get a refund of those payments and redirect those funds to other areas of your financial wellness or you could even just stick it in a savings account and it's going to generate more funds for you that mm -hmm. you can then decide to use towards your student loans later if you want to. But there's really no benefit to turning those funds over to the Department of Education right now. Um, request a refund if you've made a payment on those. And the forbearance benefits, while it is quite likely they're going to end at some point later this summer, you know, we've said that seven or eight times 
mm-hmm. right? And they mm-hmm. keep getting extended. So, you know, there's it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could get extended again, which means you would want to have those funds in your control longer earning interest or doing other better things in your overall financial wellness plan than just sitting in the Department of Education. Well, especially with the high interest yield saving options right now, right? I mean, those those rates are pretty high. Yeah, at minimum. So, but I, I also right. find that most of our veterinary colleagues are, are generally not terribly satisfied with the rest of their financial wellness, right? And there's way mm-hmm. better things that you can be doing with your money uh, besides putting it towards your student loans Absolutely. to shore up some of those areas. So is there a time frame that's sort of the deadline to ask for a refund? Yeah, that, that actually isn't entirely clear, but I suspect that once the forbearance benefits end, you're also going to lose that opportunity to request a refund of those mm-hmm. of those payments made. So I, I you know, if, if you've made those payments, I would request a refund as soon as you can, but anticipate mm-hmm. that that option will go away as soon as the, the for, forbearance benefits officially end which is likely to be, you know, later this summer, maybe sometime in August. Right. Okay. Um, So another question that we get a lot is a lot of people ask questions for those that are in an income driven repayment plan. When is my renewal date? Right. That's a really, really hot topic. So what information do we have for colleagues about the renewal date for income driven repayment plans? Yeah. So that that's another one. That's a little bit of a, a can of worms. Um, but first, first place, <laughs> a lot of these things <laughs> seem to be a can of worms. <laughs> the first place to start again is that student aid data file uploaded in the VIN foundation, my student mm-hmm. loans tool, doing that physical exam of your student loans. And if you expand the details for any of your loan types in the, my student loans tool, you'll see an anniversary date listed. If you're in an income driven repayment plan. Right? So as long as you're using an income-driven repayment plan or change to one during the forbearance benefit period, then you'll have an what's called an anniversary date, or other people call it their recertification date, the date that you have to provide updated income information to continue having your payment calculated uh, based on your income. But you know, nobody has had to provide any income recertification information during the pandemic forbearance benefit period, right? So for more than three years, people have either forgotten or they're dying to try to renew their income information, but the loan servicers aren't accepting it, right? So nobody has been required to provide this income information unless it would result in a lower monthly payment than you had previously using an income-driven repayment plan. Right. So many of you, especially some of the recent graduates, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, um, many of you have had a zero dollar minimum monthly payment on your income driven plans since you've graduated and that will persist. Right. So nobody's been required to provide renewal information through at least the end of the forbearance benefit period plus six months after that. Right. So that's going to bring us into February of 2024, most likely, right? So anybody that shows an income-driven repayment plan date or an anniversary date for recertifying of less than February of 2024, you can pretty much add a year to the date that's showing in your file until you get beyond February 2024. And that will be your next renewal date, right? So if you've got a very beneficial or low monthly payment, on your income-driven plan, you can enjoy that for, in some cases, a significant period of time even beyond when the payments start back up, 
right? And then start to think about what that um, renewal will look like and how much that's going to generate by using something like the VIN Foundation Student Loan Repayment Simulator to see what your repayment will look like after you renew um, in 2024 or in some cases, 2025. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those that are colleagues that are married, a lot of the questions that we get are around taxes, right? I mean, a lot of questions in general, it seems like they almost want, <laughs> they're almost looking for CPA help. Um, but a, but a, lot of, a lot of colleagues are saying, hey, if I'm married, should I be filing separately? Should I be filing jointly? What should I be doing? What kind of, they're almost looking for tax help, but as it relates to student debt. So within our purview, since we're not accountants or CPAs, um, if they've been, if they, if we, if there are colleagues who are married and they've been filing their taxes separately um, because of student debt, should they file together? What sort of information? And oh, the marriage, the them? marriage questions. Yeah, marriage. It's it's, it's complicated, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's the oh, it's all complicated, all of it. So um, marriage or filing your taxes? The filing your taxes part is particularly complicated, right? I mean, as soon as, soon as we started having payments that are a function of our incomes, we've also subjected um, student loan repayment to all of the uh, annoyances and idiosyncrasies of the tax filing system. So many of you may have gotten accustomed to filing your taxes separately from your spouse to keep your student loan payments lower, particularly in a plan like pay as you earn. But there hasn't been any payments that have been due. Right. So there, there really hasn't been a good reason to file your taxes separately when there's no payments due and no interest is accruing. Right. But we couldn't really predict that those pandemic forbearance benefits would be in place as long as they they have been. So good news. And one of these lesser known facts in the complicated tax filing system. You can actually go back up to three tax filing years, the most recent three tax filing years, and change a married filing separately status to a married filing jointly status. And again, because nobody's been required to provide any renewal information uh, during the pandemic forbearance period and, and for some time after, it's going to make a lot of sense for, for many of you who have filed recent tax returns separately to go back and amend those tax filings to from separately to jointly and you may get in some cases some pretty significant refunds by doing so so um you know visit that visit visit with your cpa to um you know to talk about whether or not that's going to make sense for you but then also think about when you do get it's tied to that anniversary date right so if you're using an income driven plan what is my anniversary date when am i next going to have to provide updated income information and what tax return will i be using at that point Right. So if my next renewal date isn't until mid or late 2024, well, I'm going to have an opportunity to file my taxes again for 2023, possibly separately to have that one on file when I renew my income information, which means I might be able to go back for 2022, 2021 and 2020 and amend those tax filings to to jointly. Right. So that's the that's what I'd be investigating um, for those of you that have filed your taxes separately recently for student loan payment purposes. Yeah. And you recently covered this in a Dear Dr. Debt column. So we'll make sure to link that in this episode notes as well. Absolutely. Yep. For colleagues that are graduating this year, 2023, we do do an annual new graduate student loan playbook. 
um, and webinar and as well as additional information and checklists, et cetera. So we did do one of those uh, in the beginning of April. And so what sort of things are sort of the highlight takeaways for this specific year? Uh, Again, coming back to the one-time forgiveness count adjustment. So Mm -hmm. those of you that graduated even this year or during the pandemic forbearance benefit period uh, at all, this one-time forgiveness count adjustment can be extremely beneficial for you, particularly if you were one of those career changers or had some repayment time on loans from before veterinary school. You, You may have the opportunity to transfer some of that older repayment time to your veterinary school loans, which would make you or help you reach forgiveness faster than you would if you didn't consolidate during this one-time forgiveness count adjustment, right? So I would I would highly recommend looking at your loans. You should know whether or not you've had some loans from before veterinary school. I think the trick is whether or not they have any appreciable repayment time logged for them. But if they have some repayment time on them, then I would highly recommend consolidating them so you can impart that qualifying time uh, as forgiveness time as part of the one-time forgiveness count adjustment. I would also, uh, you know, consider 2023 may be the last graduating class who could conceivably have access to pay as you earn, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's still available mm-hmm. now, right? I don't know exactly when it's going to get phased out. Again, my my sense is probably sometime in 2024, uh, but that means you have the opportunity to choose it, right? And you, your class may be the last class if you're eligible for it to select pay as you earn uh, as a repayment plan if it's the most beneficial for you. So um, that that's exciting uh, as well. For those of you that are also eligible for the new version of IBR, I call it IBR 2014, then we'll encourage you to actually get your loans into revised pay as you earn so you can benefit from the unpaid interest subsidy and then the proposed changes to revise pay as you earn, which is going to lower the monthly payment and increase the unpaid interest subsidy, which is more beneficial for your loans in general, particularly as you're just getting started and your income is ramping up, will decrease your payments no matter what your debt to income ratio is, right? So even if your debt to income ratio is relatively low, you can still really benefit from revised pay as you earn in the short term here, particularly with the proposed changes. And then for those of you that are looking at forgiveness in the future, we're going to start talking about using revised pay as you earn and switching to that new version of IBR, uh, IBR 2014 when the time comes, right? So there are definitely some changes coming to, especially for the very recent graduates who are uh, more likely than not to be eligible for a plan like IBR 2014 or new by new IBR, which means you're going to want to start with repay and eventually switch over to that new version of IBR if it looks like you're going to hit forgiveness. So that's that's going to be something we're going to be talking about a lot. Only really pertains to mm-hmm. new and recent grad scenarios. Uh, we did touch on that in the new grad playbook in more detail. So I would encourage you to to review those materials if you want to learn more about that. Yeah, now all these things that we're talking about, you know, our audience knows all the links will be in the episode notes. So take a look there. Those, so those are really the hot list items. But we also have these quote unquote, honorable <laughs> mentions, <laughs> aka coming soon or other areas of interest or topics, but ones that aren't as, you know, as mostly asked as the other ones. So 
Let's start with unpaid interest capitalization. So what's yeah, so that that's that? one of those changes that have already worked their way through the negotiated rulemaking process and will take effect on July 1st, 2023. Right, so we talked before about some of the, the LePage weren't phase out and the repay. You can think of those as still kind of working their way through the system and haven't had an effective date set yet. These changes to how unpaid interest capitalization is going to be treated had already worked their way through that entire system and the effective date is July 1st of 2023. And for loans that are first entering repayment, they will not capitalize your unpaid interest or interest that had accrued during school. Now, normally this is a pretty big deal, right? Because a lot of us uh, accrue a lot of interest during school. But for those of you that have been in school, mostly during the pandemic forbearance period, you don't have a lot of unpaid interest, if any at all, right? So you're not, you weren't gonna experience a lot of unpaid interest capitalization anyway, but going forward, this is going to be beneficial once interest gets turned back on and because interest rates are now higher, those that are starting veterinary school now or last year or next year are going to see the return of that unpaid interest and it'll be quite high and add a significant cost to their their total education. So not having that added to their principal, so that's what capitalization is. You take that unpaid interest, you add it to the principal, um, not having that happen when you have your loans first enter repayment can save you um, significant amounts of interest over the course of repayment. There are some caveats to that, right? So only loans that are first entering repayment will um, not experience unpaid interest capitalization. Unfortunately, if you consolidate your loans, which is still going to be uh, a common recommendation for many new graduating veterinarians, uh, consolidation will capitalize any unpaid interest you have. So we want to talk about that or at least know how much unpaid interest you have The other exciting uh, areas where this applies is when you're switching from one repayment plan to another, right? So I mentioned a new strategy, starting with revised pays you earn, switching to a uh, income-based repayment, the new version, particularly normally before these changes take effect, any switching from one plan to another would be another one of those triggers where unpaid interest would capitalize. Right? So now that that goes away, even if you have a significant amount of, of unpaid interest using a plan like revised pays you earn, um, it will not get added to your principal if you switch to another plan. Unfortunately, if you start with income-based for payment and switch to another plan, it still will capitalize your interest because they could not change that provision because by law, when you exit income-based repayment specifically, it says that the unpaid interest must be capitalized, right? So overwhelmingly, it's a positive change. Most instances of unpaid interest capitalization will go away, like when people were forgetting to provide their renewal information. That was a real common source of, uh, of capitalization. Mm-hmm. That's going away, uh, again, except for plans like IBR specifically. Uh, but in general, uh, that's going to provide a lot of relief for folks since that still seems to be a, um, one of the more confusing aspects of income-driven repayment is getting that income-driven renewal information on time. Wow. And that was just one question, right? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. This has been nuts trying to keep up with all this stuff. 
Right? We're not even, you know, they haven't yeah. even heard the interest <laughs> in the payments. Just think of everything we're going to have so. to tell people when's that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So going back to the one-time forgiveness count adjustments, um, let's talk about when those will be applied and what they might need to know. Yes, the most recent guidance on that is is, is 2024. Earlier when that was first announced, they were hoping to have that done before the uh, forbearance forbearance benefits would end or sometime in 2023. They're still hoping to cancel for those folks who have eclipsed the 20 or 25-year maximum that is required to reach forgiveness. They're hoping to have that applied Mm -hmm by the end of 2023. But if you still have repayment time remaining, you're not going to see that forgiveness count adjustment applied until 2024. We don't know exactly when, it's just it's right now it just says 2024. Okay. And the thing that we hear about a lot in the news that we're all kind of curious to see what's going to happen, I mean, a lot of these things, but one of the big ones is the Supreme Court rule and the ruling on the special cancellation benefits. So where are things with that? Where does it stand now? Yes, yeah, so the case uh, cases were heard in February. Um, it's kind of you know in that deliberation process, if you will, where the Supreme Court is kind of um, you know working up their uh, final decisions and the material that will support that. And normally, those that information starts to roll out in June. So we're just you know a month or weeks away here mm-hmm. from knowing what the resolution will be on that one-time cancellation benefit. So. You know, just as a refresher, that was a benefit that was announced by the Biden administration that would cancel up to $20,000 of federally held student loan balance if you met certain income thresholds, right? So uh, $20,000 being eligible for folks who had received a Pell Grant in the past, right? So that's another one of those triggers we have set up in the VIN Foundation My Student Loans tool. If you forgot or not sure if you've received a Pell Grant in the past, you can upload your student aid data file and there'll be an indicator in that My Student Loan summary that shows whether or not you've received a Pell Grant. But if you have and the Supreme Court allows these benefits to go through and you meet the income threshold requirements, you can expect to see $20,000 of your student loan balance canceled. And if you've not received a Pell Grant and still meet those income thresholds, then you'll see $10,000 or up to $10,000 of student loan balance canceled. And either one would be a huge benefit for a lot of people, right? I mean, $10,000, that's real money. $20,000, that's real money. I more beneficial for those folks who have very small balances and undergraduate right. debt, you know, so, right. Um, right. you know, I, we, we haven't really focused a whole lot on the cancellation benefits. Like you said, I mean, uh, it, any amount is, a, is, is significant, but, you know, right. Right. we're talking about our, many of our colleagues have 200, 300, $400,000 of student loan balance, right? So a $10,000 cancellation while nice is, is mm-hmm. really not appreciably changing their, their overall repayment strategy. Right. Right. But still real money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, you know, we, we've heard this a lot and we've, we've taken guesses, we've put bets in. <laughs> when do we think the forbearance benefits 
Um, and interest and payments are likely to start up again. Oh, well, they've already they've already cursed themselves by saying final uh, again on this right, one. So, right, right, right. And, and I think they've said that four or five times. So, and if you've ever right. done this in your own in your own work, as soon as you mark something as final, that's that's almost guarantees right. that it's guaranteed yeah, edits. Exactly. Yep. So, um, I think it really a lot of it's going to depend on what the Supreme Court decides. Um, especially if they decide against it, which I think in my opinion is, is quite likely, uh, there will be mm -hmm. some significant push to have them extend it again or try in some other manner. So we'll see, but you know, the way that the, the uh, wording is written right now is that the benefits will expire 60 days after the determination is made by the Supreme Court and no later than 60 days after June 30th. Right, so the latest we can see this go is August 30th, unless it's extended again. Um, but you know, the uh, Secretary of Education just last week said that this was going to be the last time, and everybody should expect to re-enter repayment. But he's also said that two or three times before. So um, mm -hmm. you know, take that for what it's worth. But you know, there's uh, there is a really good chance that th this will come to an end later this summer. Uh, but there's not an insignificant chance that it will be extended again. Right, right. Okay, so where can colleagues go for updates? Because one thing that we do know is things will continue. Yeah, to absolutely. So, you know, vinfoundation.org, the blog is, you know, we've got tons of content there. Um, you mm -hmm. know, the Student Death Center is a great place to do that physical exam. Uh, studentaid.gov is, you know, is, is kind of that official source. You're going to want to check your loan servicers. Now, you know, you're not always going to see the information in your student aid file match what your loan servicer is telling you, but that's the benefit of looking, right? I always like to be able to double check um, what my federal student aid file says against what my loan servicer is saying. And if they are different, I want to call my loan servicer and find out find out why. And there's been a lot of loan servicer shuffling going on recently. So another reason to just make sure that everybody's on the same page, particularly if we are going to re-enter repayment later this year. I mean, that's going to be it's just going to be chaotic, right? I mean, the loan servicers aren't prepared. Mm -hmm. The borrowers aren't prepared. There's always, you know, mistakes are always made and, you know, people are going to have lots of questions and quite frankly, they're going to be overwhelmed once repayment starts. So you kind of want to get this stuff figured out before, because if you try to make a phone call, you know, on September 1st, you're probably going to have some really, really long wait times to, to get a hold of anybody. So um, take advantage of the time you have now to get this stuff straightened out and have a reasonable plan in place. So you're not, um, you know, scrambling once the once the interest and payments start back up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else our listeners should know? Oh, well, the, the only other thing I think that didn't make it into that, that email that'll, that'll be in the next one that we send out whenever that is, is that the interest rates for next year were set, right? And they're going to be the highest that we've seen them um, ever in this structure. So veterinarians mm -hmm. who are borrowing for veterinary school in, can expect to see direct unsubsidized interest rates at 7.05% and direct 
grad plus rates will be at 8.05%. So for those of you that are in school, um, how much you're borrowing is is really going to have to take focus again, right? We've, we've gotten really used to this no interest stuff accruing during school, but when it does get turned back on, it's it's coming back on fast and, and furious. So we have to be really cognizant about how much we're borrowing um, with that interest accruing while we're in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else from you, Becca? I think the big thing is there's, there's so much going on, right? Like, I mean, we're, we're talking about all these changes, some of that have happened and some that are coming. And I think just trying to stay tuned with what's going on, you know, and, and as you have questions, as you inevitably will, I have questions all the time, let us know, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what we're here for is to help work through those problems. And so reaching out to us at studentdead at infoundation.org, letting us know what's kind of tripping you up and what you want to know about. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Beck and I have both been really busy in the, in the student debt folder where we provide that personalized assistance. And it's crazy how different the plans and strategies are based on your specific mm-hmm. circumstances and everybody's circumstances Absolutely. are so different. And it's, it's, you know, it's really, you can really get nuts with this stuff and and we do. And, and with, <laughs> Mission good, accomplished. With, with good, yeah, right. With good reason. I mean, there's tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, just based on what repayment strategy you, you choose to embark on. So, um, it's well worth the time to, to dig into this stuff and, and, and try to understand it and how it applies to your circumstances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for joining us again. And uh, I'm sure we will be back here soon with another update. Thanks, you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.